0: Father, we thank you. I like that song. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Jesus, come. We, We ask that you would come this morning. Holy Spirit, come and fill this room. Fill our hearts, fill our minds, fill our thoughts. I pray that you would push away any distractions, whether they be in this room or just in our external lives. I pray that you would silence all voices but yours this morning, that even my voice would fade into the background and people would hear you speaking to them in some way, shape, or form through the songs, through the prayers, and through the sermon. We love you so much. The gospel seems even more important now, these days, and we ask that you would uh, apply your word to our lives. Let us really... Wrestle with it and respond to it, and turn from our sin and turn towards you in a wonderfully freeing way. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. So, uh, artist and writer—if uh, I say his name cr- correctly—Makoto Fujimura. Uh, he he was doing a commencement speech once, and he um, he described the experience of seeing the play *Our Town* by thornton wilder in new york city and um he described a scene in which uh, which conveyed a memory uh when the character emily in the in the play goes back to her 12th birthday right so he the bat and in that scene the back of the stage opens up so if you thought, if that curtain was closed, it would open and there would be a backstage opening up. The front of the stage went dark and the back of the stage lit up with color and, you know, light and all this stuff. And, and, and the, then he, he, they also had, um, the smell of bacon and eggs wafting out over the, cause it was a breakfast scene. So the smell of bacon and eggs just kind of wafting out over the audience. So it was pretty cool. So Emily's memory at the end of the day in this play, you know, is depicted as more real uh, or, or a greater reality. You know, on the uh, of the, than than the main stage going on because they used all their senses, right? The color, light, smell, things like that, sound, all that stuff. So Fujimura asked the question: What if there's a stage behind the stage of our lives? What if there's a stage behind the stage of our lives? What if there's some sort of another story, right, that that while less tangible or physical, is more real and alive than the one that we think that we're living, right? Really good question. So if you have been with us, we've been in Jeremiah. This is the last Sunday we're in Jeremiah, and we're in Jeremiah chapter 50. I usually have you open your Bibles, but today, because we're going to jump around so much in this chapter, long chapter, I want to do just put them on the screen so let's read Jeremiah chapter 50 verses 30 and 34 it says this is what the Lord Almighty says the people of Israel are oppressed and the people of Judah as well all their captors hold them fast refusing to let them go yet their Redeemer is strong the Lord Almighty is his name he will vigorously defend their cause so that he may bring rest to their land, but unrest to those who live in Babylon, right? And so then beginning in verse 35, God outlines the absolute destruction that he'll bring on Babylon, and he ends in verse 40 by saying, As I overthrew uh, so- Sodom and Gomorrah, along with their neighboring towns, declares the Lord, so no one will live there in babylon right no one will no people will dwell in it now uh we know that all up to this point god has had has prophesied that uh israel would be taken over by babylon and now the opposite's happening it seems like the tables have turned so to speak um english poet percy shelley Once wrote a poem called Ozymandias, and that is just the Greek title for Pharaoh Ramses II, right? And it begins by describing what, you know, I I don't know if he saw it or what, but a broken statue of a great leader that is half buried. It's all broken to pieces and it's half buried in the sand in the desert. And in the second half of the poem, he outlines the irony of the inscription, because it says, And on the pedestal these words appear, My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch away. Right? So Shelley's sonnet sort of witnesses the fall of an empire. And it mocks the pride of Ozymandias, right? Who, who styled himself as king of kings, the greatest king of all times, right? He, his name no longer strikes fear in anybody's heart, right? His kingdom is half buried in the sand someplace, right? And like his fall, in the same way Jeremiah's prophecy did come to pass eventually regarding Babylon. Maybe not in his time necessarily, but it, regarding Babylon, it did come to pass. And Jeremiah seemed to know the greater narrative, the greater story of God's faithfulness in the midst of judgment, that 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 thing playing in the background. He saw the story behind the story. And uh, part of his ministry was just to reveal that to everybody else. So my proposition to you today is that our present and future reality in Christ strengthens faith for difficulty today. Our present and future reality in Christ strengthens faith for difficulty today. You know, it's exactly because God is real and active uh, in the world that we can look, you know, For the story behind the story in the midst of all of our suffering and all of our waiting, right? I I heard a good quote this morning. Somebody said that suffering is like God's megaphone, right? Just getting your attention. The question may be, do we spend more of our energy, more of our thoughts, more of our time and all that kind of stuff looking at the negative details on the front stage of life than we do on what God is doing behind the scenes, right and i have to i've been through this process recently where i've had to do that like force myself to rethink those things jeremiah 5 chapter 50 gives us many uh of the behind the scenes promises or truths about god which should govern our hearts as christians instead of the darkness of our situation right this passage gives us a glimpse into the story behind the story that Jeremiah was sent uh, by God to tell everyone. You know, earlier in the book, if you remember, uh, God acts as righteous judge, bringing charges against Israel, against Judah, against his own people, and he detailed the consequences of their sin, but now he turns and he acts as their defender. Because it seems that they would have learned their lesson. And he's going to bring destruction on their oppressors instead. He's going to rescue them again from slavery. You know, God used Babylon to serve as a corrective force on Judah and on Israel. Now he was going to dismantle them. And it's within his sovereign right to do so, by the way. As Israel wouldn't be allowed to sin without consequence, neither would Babylon. They're not just going to get away with anything. You know, so Jeremiah is the scriptural equivalent to what goes around, comes around, right? Um, since God says in verse 15 in chapter 50, he says, Since this is the vengeance of the Lord, take vengeance on her, on Babylon. Do to her as she has done to others. You know, as a matter of fact, if you remember, uh, just as God God promised... Uh, through jeremiah the destruction of jerusalem that 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 would come from the north that the armies would come from the north he says the same thing about babylon that they would their destruction would come from the north and it did in 539 bc uh it, it was the first blow by cyrus the per, the king of persia and they he had he was kind of brilliant i think because he came in from the north but he came in through a dry riverbed his whole army came in through a dry riverbed because he had diverted the rivers of the the river weeks earlier to a lake so it would dry up and he would have a way to get into the city and uh, he went when everybody was drunk at a festival and pretty smart guy but anyway that's that was the first blow but in time Babylon sort of reflected Shelley's poem of Ozymandias right and later under Augustus Babylon had become so desolate that it might even just be called a vast desert and from that time onward, Babylon ceases almost to be mentioned in history, even if, you know, its, its ruins weren't even discovered until, I think, the 1800s. It might be 1877 or 1817. I can't remember. It's got a 7 in it somewhere. But, um, but ironically, if you remember, if you're old enough to remember, Saddam Hussein, who thought he was the reincarnation of the ancient king Nebuchadnezzar, was rebuilding the city of Babylon in Iraq. So... A little bit of a nut job right there. But, um, (laughs) but you know, if we're spending way too much of our energy and way too much of our time, which is easy to do, I've done it, becoming upset about our current political, social, cultural state or situation and all the things that are going on around us, and it feels like the enemy is constantly sort of winning the culture war and gaining ground on us, and that Christianity is retreating in its influence and all that stuff, remember that there is a story behind the story. There is a greater reality that's going on that maybe we can't see, right? So I think it is vital for us to view our world through the lens of both God's promises and God's plan for the world. In other words, to have a biblical worldview, to have those lenses that we see the world through, you know, which says that God will punish all sin and all wrongs will be righted in the end. And that's something we, hope on, we, we hold on to and hope. In verse 28, Jeremiah prophecies people uh you know when when this destruction on babylon hap- happening is happening people would bring news uh back to jerusalem it says this listen to to the fugitives and refugees from babylon declaring in zion zion is jerusalem how the lord our god has taken vengeance vengeance for his temple because babylon destroyed it took all the stuff away if i if i remember my history correctly but what we see there is that news of God's glory would go out to all nations. They would everybody was going to hear about this, right? And that's been the theme of the whole Bible that we've been studying for months. Right? God and we, we understand through this story that God brings down the proud, right? He he humiliates the arrogant, he destroys the violent. Although Babylon ruled over the ancient world and it seemed, you know, so strong and nothing could bring it down, God had the last word as he always does. We have to remember that. Listen to verses 31 and 32. It says, see, I am against you, O arrogant one, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. For your day has come, the time for you to be punished. There was a time for Israel to be punished. Now it's their time to be punished. The arrogant one will stumble and fall, and no one will help her up. I will kindle a fire in her towns that will consume I mean, that's a pretty all inclusive all-inclusive word. It will consume all who are around her. Anybody that has influence because of her is just going to be taken over. You know, remember last week we said the enemy doesn't win the war. God won the war. We talked about D-Day, you know, happening one one plus years before World War II ended. That was the day the war was actually won, but Victory Day came later, right? So God, the cross broke the back of the enemy, right? And and the 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 war is won, but the battle still continues. the The, the kingdom has not been fully established, and we have to remember these things. But turning our attention back to judah back to israel we see this progression as the constant theme in the scriptures when it comes to god's relationship with sort of wayward people right for them at this moment it switches from god being righteous judge over them to defender over them right and then now we have this kinsman redeemer this this concept which was in that that uh that day and age a kinsman redeemer would be one who had the responsibility to rescue members of his family from slavery and to avenge their enemies right so God acts here as a kinsman redeemer if you remember Boaz uh, served as kinsman redeemer in rescuing Ruth from slavery and po- poverty in the book of Ruth uh, go back and read that wonderful story uh, God describes himself as, as a redeemer in bringing Israel out of Egypt and their slavery then. Same concept. Christ redeems his people when he paid for their sin on the cross and released them from bondage of guilt and bringing us back from sin and death and the control of, 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 of the devil over our lives. And this is all accomplished by his blood. This is, these are things that we find in Scripture over and over and over again. Jeremiah's ministry... Was another retelling of this story, which eventually culminates in Jesus' redemption of the world. He's pointing towards that, right? This chapter details the future hope that the Israelites would have. Their captors will be defeated. That's a promise, and their ho- their false prophets and all these crazy whack job beliefs, you know, would be revealed for what they actually really are. It's so frustrating hearing people put their faith in things that you know. have They're so empty and so diversionary and so they bring so much death to their lives. But that's the thing. God will 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 expose all this stuff. Because I think we can similarly take heart in all of these promises because even while we might feel in exile, we might feel out of place as Christians. You know, we might be called, you know like uh, all kinds of names there's hope for future and there is hope for true justice not the justice talked about on the newspapers but true justice god's justice right because he will destroy what seemed so strong so immovable so influential and he will reveal as foolish what seemed so wise to people. He will. He will break all that down. God's not only redeeming his people, by the way, but he is exposing the futility of the things that we are tempted to trust in or the things that actually oppress us, right? as it says in first 1 corinthians 125 great verse i love this verse for the foolishness of god is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of god is stronger than human strength right amen to that uh, writer amy simpson uh wrote blessed are the unsatisfied blessed are the unsatisfied and she was explaining uh, Uh, her childhood and how her family lived in poverty and they depended on food pantries and food stamps and public assistance and all this stuff And, and they ate a lot of expired food and things like that and her mother was always ill and she and her siblings had to take on more responsibility in the family than a kid would normally do and when she grew up and she actually got a college education and she got a good job and she had this happy growing family she expected to be satisfied with life but she wasn't she was confronted with the truth that we are not made to be satisfied with a fallen broken world we as christians will always be unsettled if we have our face on christ we will we cannot be satisfied with a fallen broken world we'll always hunger for more We'll always want more. And this hunger is what pushes us to place our hope in the future uh, redemption of the world in Christ. Israel and Judah had learned their lesson in exile apparently, as indicated by verse 4. It says, In those days, and at that time, that's a very important little phrase there, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah together will go in tears to seek the Lord their God, right? Remember how arrogant and closed off and prideful Israel was. You know, they threw, they threw last sermon, remember they threw Jeremiah in a cistern for dead because they didn't want to hear his message. They wanted to do whatever they wanted to do. You know, that that's the way they were. But now they're coming back to the Lord. They're going to be coming back to the Lord crying so we first had god as righteous judge then we have defender then we have kinsman redeemer and which all leads us to this wonderful sweet repentance in the community right because tears reveal sorrow for sin they reveal gratitude for salvation if we feel at all under some pressure either corporately as a people or personally as an individual for you know in, in our in our current time of this historical moment will we allow that sense of exile whatever god is doing in that to do its corrective work in our hearts in order to turn us back to jesus I, I don't think I'm ever really fully there, right? Like I I'm not really fully cognizant of it, and I and I always needed to be reminded, it, greater or smaller degrees. You know, in Nehemiah chapter eight verse nine, it says the people wept as they listened to the words of the law read to them as Israel came back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Right? They wept when they read the scriptures read to them. I mean, when's the last time you you wept when God when when we stood up here and read to you i'm not sure we react too much like that right as not that you have to do that all the time but maybe sometimes god strikes you and that's wonder that's a wonderful moment ezra uh, chapter 10 verse 1 says while ezra was praying and confessing weeping and throwing himself down before the house of god a large crowd of israelites men women and children gathered around to and and they too wept bitterly that's a wonderful picture this was corporate repentance this was a turning back to the lord and repentance that led to reconciliation by the way and that is all tinged with this wonderful deep sorrow for where they had been before israel and judah if you know had been separate nations they had been sort of hostile enemies um, since this civil war which followed solomon's reign back in 931 930 bc and israel has a as a political entity has ceased to exist by 722 bc right when the uh, the assyrians came and destroyed the country yet now it seems the images of generation in jeremiah show these two nations back together back as one people turning from our sin We should be like that tax collector in Luke chapter 18, I think it is. He would not even look up, it says. He would would not even look up to heaven, but he would beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or maybe Peter in Matthew chapter 26, verse 75, when he regretted how he handled things, he, he went outside and he wept bitterly, right? He felt it. He felt the weight of things. See, repentance is actually good for the soul, right? We always want to feel good all the time, but sometimes to feel the sorrow and the weight of things is actually good for our soul, and it's definitely good for the community. But since our hearts tend to be so wayward at times sometimes we do need the corrective hand of god you know god loves his children so god disciplines his children that's a truth that we find in scripture and and so sometimes we need that corrective hand of god to bring about the necessary anguish that we should feel as uh, needed to deal with our sin and and the damage that it does as it alienates us from god and even from each other and even from our own selves we can kind of be disconnected from ourselves. do these things Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, what is repentance unto life? And the answer is written, repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth we never write that word anymore doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto god with full purpose and of and endeavor after new obedience so it's it makes repentance is this transformative movement where it makes a difference in your life you're now following the lord again right so we've had this sort of the blessing of this righteous judge over israel we have we have him as a defender we have him as kinsman redeemer we have this wonderful reconciliation that leads to uh, our repentance that leads to reconciliation but another blessing that we have here is found in verse 5 of the chapter and that is the everlasting covenant that we have with god and this is really cool it says they will ask the way to zion back to Jerusalem and turn their faces toward it and they will come and bind themselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten right so Philip Ryken says a someone who is bound to God by covenant A, a Christian becomes a member of the church God's covenant community he is baptized into god's triune name and thus he receives god's covenant sign in his life and and a christian takes on communion sitting down to god's covenant meal and he is identified as a christian by living the covenant life so there is something that we live out here and so, in a sense, these are all ways of keeping covenant with God. But when Jeremiah mentioned the everlasting covenant, he wasn't talking about our covenant promise to God. He was talking about God's covenant promise to us. There's a difference, right? God's covenant promise with us. So Jeremiah was sort of, the, they call him the, the, the uh, prophet of the new covenant, Right? Because he's pointing forward to Christ. He, he showed God's people how, he, how they had broken the old covenant. And he had announced its, its uh, sort of terms and its curses back in chapter 11. And then in verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 9, he explained that God's people were banished from their city because they had forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worshipped and served other gods. And then in thirty one, thirty two, he lamented these things as a breakup of a sort of a covenant. He says, "They broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them." Declares the Lord. It's like they were. It's like Israel was a cheating wife, you know. But Jeremiah also, if you remember, announced the coming of a new covenant written on the minds and the hearts of God's people in chapter thirty one, verses thirty one to thirty four. The new covenant would establish a bond of friendship and connection. God's people would, be, uh, would, would belong to God, and God would belong to his people. The new covenant, we, we learn in Jeremiah 50, would be an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten. And see, that's part of the problem with the old covenant was, was our forgetfulness. God's people would forget God. And they would forget their covenant with him, right? But the new covenant will last forever. It can't be forgotten because it comes to us in Jesus Christ, right? Jeremiah was prophetically pointing to Christ when he said, in those days and at that time. He's pointing to a future time. The new covenant in Christ doesn't depend on us, does it? We all know this we've been church churchified <laughs> right rather we it 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 depends on the person and the work of Jesus i didn't do i didn't do anything to get saved i almost said i didn't do nothing i didn't do nothing to get saved um but i didn't do anything to get saved right we enter into it uh in him and through him right he keeps covenant for his people. He became man. He obeyed the law perfectly. He was the only sinless person to walk this earth. He became the curse for our sins. He died on the cross. <clears throat> he was raised from the dead, and, and he ascended to heaven, and he prays for his people, and he keeps this covenant to the end. As Hebrews 13.20 says, May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good thing or good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So we have this wonderful righteous judge. We have this great defender. We have a wonderful kinsman redeemer. We have this sweet repentance leading to reconciliation. We have this everlasting covenant. And now we see God as good shepherd in chapter 50. If if you read uh, verses 6 and 7, God lamented all the bad shepherds who had led them astray over the years. He says, My people have been lost sheep their shepherds have 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 led them astray caused them to roam on the mountains so israel had literally just been scattered among the nations and god does this throughout the old testament in numerous ways when 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 we're not responsible we're not doing what we're supposed to do in giving his glory to the nations he scatters us out there lets us learn our lesson and brings the gospel to people out there right so Uh, these are for many reasons but anyway let me continue it says they wandered over mountain and hill and forgot their own resting place whoever found them devoured them their enemies said we're not guilty for they sinned against the lord their true pastor the lord the hope of their fathers right and if you remember this has happened the assyrians had decimated the northern tribes in 722 BC and then the Babylonians came along to chew on the bones and lick off all the the remaining meat right they they were just going to finish the job and and so Israel needed a good shepherd they needed leadership they needed somebody to to lead them out of this and God was exactly that as we see in verses 18 and 19 it says this is what the lord almighty the god of israel says i will punish the king of babylon and his land as i punish the king of assyria but i will bring israel back to his own pasture he will graze on carmel carmel and bashan his appetite will be satisfied keyword right there satisfied satisfied on the hills of ephraim and gilead this is wonderful news right and these verses all also look forward to everything the Bible says about Jesus the shepherd, right? When the sheep are scattered, Jesus is the good shepherd who has compassion on them. Because they, it says in Matthew 9, they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, right? when the sheep are lost it's jesus the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to go find the one right and to go after the lost sheep until he finds it in luke chapter 15 when when the sheep are in danger it's jesus who is a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep in john chapter 10 when the sheep are hungry it is jesus as good shepherd who supplies whatever they need right jeremiah promised israel's appetite would be satisfied in verse 19 there but literally what he's saying is that israel's soul would be satisfied it it goes beyond your belly It's, it's into your soul now this is like your your being right which and that echoes psalm 23 which says the lord is my shepherd i shall not be in want Can you say that right now? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And he restores my soul. Man, there are so many times in this spiritual battle of life where I need my soul restored, it seems like, right? I have to get back to that. So we have our righteous judge we have this wonderful defender. We have kinsman redeemer. We have this sweet repentance leading to reconciliation. We have everlasting covenant. We have a good shepherd. But there is one last thing, uh, last promise that Jeremiah prophecies here, which is our full atonement of sin. And that is really good news. Found in verse 20, he says, In those days and at that time, declares the Lord, search will be made for Israel's guilt. Now think about the list that I gave you a few weeks back of what they did. Search will be made for Israel's guilt, but there will be none. And for the sins of uh, of Judah, but none will be found. I will forgive the remnant I spare. Oh, I love that. All of Israel's sins as you know, in all of their sordid detail, if you remember, that included homicide, infanticide, adultery, se- all kinds of sexual sins, idolatry, lying, cheating, stealing, and all the rest, wiped away. That's the wonderful news in Christ, right? due to their repentance due to their turning back god forgives their sin and he counts it all against them no more he says god forgets it it's not like he can't remember it but he just doesn't count it against them against them anymore you know in our prison fellowship ministry we have numerous numerous multiple murderers Really nice guys, you never know it, talking to them. They're sweetheart of guys. They're, they're really funny. They have a great sense of humor and all that stuff. And that's not to diminish the the uh, the victims in their lives. But they, they are nice guys. But the point is that even they are not beyond forgiveness. Now, I will tell you, in the past, we've had a murderer at 6'8". Most people didn't know it. This was years, years back. He's since moved away. And he served his time, and he got out. And he was a great guy. He was growing in the Lord but um but they these guys their sins weigh heavily on them they think about them all the time they feel the sorrow of what they they created and they did in somebody else's life and that hopefully brings tears and repentance which leads to grace in christ by the way pray for our prison ministry it is wonderful we are having great conversations these guys are Wonderful guys. We have really good response to, you know, in, in these discussions and stuff. It's really kind cool. of cool. One of the ladies on our team, she doesn't go to this church, she, she, but she's part of our team. She said, we are not our mistakes. We are not the culmination of our mistakes. Now this woman can speak because I don't know if you remember about 10 or 15 years ago, there was a young couple in Philadelphia and the girlfriend uh, convinced her boyfriend to go and kill her father for the abuse that her father was meeting out on her and um, they both got arrested for it they did it and they both got arrested for it and that's her son this lady that's on our team and she she feels this deeply we are not our mistakes we are not a culmination of all of our bad choices in the gospel right instead in christ what are we We are a new creation, the old is gone, the new is come. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Memorize that one and believe it. Believe it, right? In him, every sin, past, present, and future, every sin are covered no matter how heinous in your life due to the person and the work of Jesus Christ and this everlasting covenant that we have in him. That is the good news of the gospel. If it were up to us to earn our place, grace wouldn't be grace. We cannot earn our place in in the kingdom. But as it is, because of Jesus, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Romans chapter 8. That is so true. Philip Bliss uh, wrote a a hymn outlining this wonderful atonement called uh, Man of Sorrows, What a Name. And in the middle verse it says, guilty, violent, helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was He. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Amen to that, right? So like those who heard Jeremiah's warning way back then, many of us in the United States right now uh, want to believe maybe that what what was will always be what you know like that we don't like the change we want it to go stay the same we don't want to see things change and all that stuff and we we we're just kind of fighting against that but you know history and scripture and Ozymandias and Rome and Babylon and the Assyrian Empire and what's his name over in Iraq you know all that stuff tells us otherwise. We, too, are destined to go the way of all the flesh. Empires come and go. They change. The question isn't, will it happen? The question is, when will it happen? And maybe we've already turned that corner. Maybe we'll never be the same. But God is still doing something. And so knowing that, Christians put their trust not in the things of this world not in a political party not in a government not in like anything but we don't we don't put our trust in that we put our trust in the creator and his word to us his promises his plan for the world the story behind the story less tangible less physical but more real and more alive than the one that we think we're living If there's anything that we can learn from Jeremiah's ministry, it's the value of faithfulness in the midst of suffering and sort of uncertainty of life and the changing, shifting things. Whether that characterizes you or not, let me tell you that life on this earth will include suffering and it will include a lot of doubt about your future and about the future of anybody around us. And we will oftentimes wonder, is it worth it walking with Jesus through this stuff? Or how can we keep going on? How do we do this? Jeremiah's life is evidence of what deep and abiding faith in God looks like, even when his promises have yet to be seen to be fulfilled. It's often remarked that Jeremiah's life was a failure, <laughs> right? That he, he was alone for most of his ministry. He seemed to, no one really seemed to listen or give heed to what he said. You know, he was, he was dragged off finally at the end of his days to be in exile against his own will. He was a failure, total and absolute failure as the world judges human achievement. But a more sort of balanced assessment of him Would be that his very words of judgment saved Israel's faith from disintegration over history. And his words of hope finally helped his people to gain hope in God's future for them, and God's future for the world, for that matter. Our present and future reality in Christ includes a righteous judge. God is a judge, right? He is defender, he is redeemer. We have sweet repentance, which leads to wonderful reconciliation. We have an everlasting covenant. We have a good shepherd. And we have full atonement, full freedom from our sin, the effects of our sin, which all strengthens our faith for difficult times today. So all I say to you this morning is look for the less tangible or physical, but more real and alive story that's going on in the background. Look for what God is doing as we together seek His glory through His mission as His people. Do not ever give up hope, because you do have a hope in Christ, not only right now, but for your future as well. As we go into the Lord's table, we're going to celebrate this. And uh, we've gotten into the habit of... um, of reading the apostles creed together and i would love to have you invite you to stand and um and read that along with me i'm going to stand down here to read it Whoop, sorry i'm gonna fall um i'll start and you guys can just join in with me i believe in god the father almighty creator of heaven and earth i believe in jesus christ his only son our lord who is conceived by the holy spirit and so we, we acknowledge those truths. Go ahead and have a seat as, as we come to the Lord's Table, because the Lord's Table is a serious and uh, wonderful experience. And I want to invite you to open your Bibles to First Corinthians chapter 11. That's on page 784 of your Bibles. Because I remember when I was a kid, I didn't know where this was found when, you know, whenever I heard a pastor lead people through the communion part. And I, it was helpful to know where it be found. You thought you would find it in a gospel, right? But it's actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Go down to verse 23. So page 784, chapter 11. Go down to verse 23. And I just want to read this to you. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for the story behind the story. We thank you for all the plans and promises you've given us and how You sustain us and move us deeper into Yourself. And we ask that You would be glorified among all nations of this earth right now. There's so much turmoil and craziness in the the world right now. And we ask for Your name and Your glory to go out. And if things need to be dismantled a little bit for that to happen, we welcome that change. And we thank You, Father God. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to have... Uh, people pass out uh, the elements to you in in a few minutes, but we're going to start worshiping. And when you when you get the elements, you can just go ahead and take them as you normally would. Uh, you'll see that there's a little cup with a, a piece of bread and then then a thing of wine in the top, so you'll you'll figure it out. I think you're all college grads.